I would love if you guys got Shakira as a guest. That would be a great well, next guest. I think <laughs> I'll have my team reach out. <laughs> Do you remember a few months ago? Why are Shakira? you in the cast list for Miss Americana? <laughs> yes. The only question we ask her. Okay, bye. Yeah, that's it. That's all you had. No, we would have to talk to her about a few months ago when she changed her profile picture to the lesbian flag. Oh, I missed that. It was like... Wait, I did not see that. It was one of the first Gaylor things that I ever posted about on on the Gaylor Reddit. I was like, okay, I know this isn't Taylor related. Oh, so that's why she's in the... Mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. she's the That's why she's in the Miss Americana <laughs> cast. They all yeah. come running. They it's all come running. adding up. She changed her profile picture to the lesbian flag and then released a single... And the single album art was the lesbian flag. A bunch of lesbians on Twitter were like, why did, what? What are you saying? And it was never addressed. <laughs> That's literally Taylor putting out Lover. Like, wait, why didn't I hear about that? Now I have to, now I'm going down like a Shakira gay, gay Kira. Shakira. There's a she-wolf in the closet. <gasps> Afterwards, I was like, that's the thing. I was like, after that, I think Lizzie posted a whole thing, like, (laughs) analyzing. Shakira's a lesbian. She's a she-wolf in the closet. She's a she-wolf in the closet. I can't believe she just came out and no one said anything. (laughs) Me too. And she's still with that guy that she's been with for a very long time, who a lot of people think is also gay. Gay. Yeah. Wow. It's giving Harry and Evelyn. Oh, yes. Doing Harry and Evelyn. I was thinking Harry Styles. I was like, who's Evelyn? (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Archers. I am one half of your co-host, Katie. Uh, How are you doing, fellow co-host Madison? I'm so good, fellow co-host Katie. I am very caffeinated and I'm ready mm. to talk about Miss Americana. I'm always ready. Yes, I love that. I'm so glad. Um, I'm decaffeinated but running on a natural high. So mania, if you will. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> so we have a very exciting episode today. We're going to be discussing the documentary on its two-year anniversary Miss Americana. And we are going to be discussing this with film scholar Sean Donovan. Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, Katie and Madison. Thank you so much for having me here. Oh, I know I'm so an outsider welcome. here in mm. the land of the archers, but I feel I feel right at home all the same. I feel very blissfully welcomed. Oh, that's wonderful. You're very much welcomed. Yeah. We're so happy to have you and your knowledge and your expertise. <laughs> to um to add to our our discussion today yeah so a little bit about sean what's your story what are you all about what's my story yes so i am a scholar in training i guess you'd say i'm a doctoral candidate at the university of michigan specializing in lgbtq media studies I'm writing a dissertation about queer media and nostalgia in in particular, about what are the stakes of queer people imagining their pasts through film, TV, and online media. 
Uh, and what kind of pleasures are there to be taken from the past? What does it say that queer people have a sort of nostalgia for the imaginations of past queer societies? I am also, I program queer content for the Ann Arbor Film Festival. I'm a big sort of a film festival person trying to make go, go of it in that uh, sphere of work as well. And I have known one of the co-hosts of The Archers for a very long time. Yes. And I'll leave to the, <laughs> to the view <laughs> How- to, the, uh, to the listeners to guess. <laughs> I feel like we may have known each other for maybe all of Madison's life. I'm just kidding. Oh, I don't, God. Oh, right. I was like... <laughs> No, but definitely since Madison was four, we've known each other. Okay. Wow. That's a yeah. big chunk of it. Middle wow. school best friends. Yeah. So Sean is. That's so mo- sweet. Yeah. He was my best babe at my wedding. It was. And your GBF through uh, oh. high school. <laughs> yeah. When I was a straight school. ally. My mm-hmm. gay right. best friend. You were a straight ally and I was a closeted uh, gay man. <laughs> we, all, we all take on many hats. <laughs> Over our lifetimes. Um, Your your area of study, it just like almost too perfectly fits into like the things that Katie and I talk about all the time, but like especially for Miss Americana. So I'm so excited. Well, yes, I I was a huge fan of your last episode where you talked about Emily Dickinson and Sylvia Plath and just all these. Yeah. And you talked about the idea of folklore, both the fact that it is the name of the Swift album, but also that queer people need and kind of thrive on these uh, folklore mythologies of the past that we link to specific historical figures. So yeah, yeah I'm, but, I'm right at home here. Yeah, that was the word I was thinking of the whole time when you were talking about the type of stuff that you study. I was like, oh, it's like literally like folklore, like the history, <laughs> the oral history. I love that. Just so we're so the audience is clear. Sean, you you're not like a Taylor Swift fan are you? Or no. what's your relationship with her? Yes, I'm definitely an outsider. Like I mentioned, I am Katie's best friend and as a result I have absorbed a lot about Taylor Swift just you're an mm-hmm. ally yeah, I'm an ally I guess I, I've you're the ally now. <laughs> now now I'm the ally I'm the ally and I've absorbed a lot about Taylor Swift uh, just sort of by proximity to Katie I don't know a ton about her so I was coming into the, this documentary relatively green in terms of Taylor Swift's studies I, I mean I've been a Alive in the past few decades and because of that I've kind of absorbed things everyone else in the world has absorbed about Taylor Swift yeah but I know less of the uh, finer details do you have a, a favorite Taylor Swift song like do you are you familiar at all like with her music I the thing is I've become familiar in the past few months I would say I wonder uh, why <laughs> For sure. Uh, my favorite song is, and I, I feel like this is probably not a very fun selection, but my favorite song is absolutely the 10 minute version of All Too Well. I saw her perform that on Saturday Night Live, which was fantastic. And it's become yeah. a staple of my uh, rotation in my car. I have a playlist of songs entitled Autumn, because back in September, I was looking for songs that could bring alive the season. Here we are in January, and I haven't migrated to a winter playlist. I've just kind of kept that one alive. Just forever autumn. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, What an autumn girl, just like Taylor. I will say the impression I had kind of of Taylor Swift. I saw her as sort of an over-enthusiastic theater kid. Like if I had to... (laughs) 
put a like sort of cliche upon her. And I think yeah. a lot of that was her appearance in the motion picture Cats and particularly the lead up to Cats where I was really invested in all the um, advertising work where she talked about rehearsing at, at what she called cat school yeah. <laughs> and, and the whole parts of becoming a cat. She seemed far more sincere and engaged in cats than I, I think I think everyone else in that. Yeah. Film. I'm so glad that you know that and that you picked up on that <laughs> because she was very much enthusiastic about that movie and about being in it. She said she was like on set every day on the days that she wasn't even supposed to be there. Yeah. She just loved being there. <laughs> God bless. Like, you know, really like I don't know, just living in the moment of that kind of cheesy musical theater uh, vibe that Cats is bringing, where like, as opposed to other people in that film, like, it feels like at times you can see right through to the souls of James Corden and Rebel Wilson, and they would rather be anywhere else in the world while they're trying to film that film. <laughs> but that's I have not to the be case. honest, I never, I never watched it, so I'm not sure. Strong it's recommend. It's a, it's a good watch. Is it? Meanwhile, I was telling Madison <laughs> absolutely do not watch it <laughs> i know katie's like trust your instincts like trust your intuition it's not worth it i just think that you know some of us are more susceptible to the psychosis it could potentially send someone into than others and we yeah. have to honor that thank you for being sensitive to that yeah that's very fair when judy dench breaks the fourth wall to tell us what she cats does. are too much no she does not our yes. cats a cat Ooh. is a cat is not a dog that's the big that's a, one that's an actual know. verbatim quote just yeah, she looks remember. into the camera to say it that's yeah. got to be one of the scary yeah psychosis immediately <laughs> hospital <laughs> i don't think i will be watching that but i do love reading people's reviews of that movie because it's insane yeah, sure is. <laughs> there's so sure, many sure opinions is. about it um so you're not really you're not really like a taylor fan but you're in proximity to her because we all are forced to be that's valid mm -hmm. in pop culture yeah um i love that you love the all too well 10 minute version that you can recognize how good that is yeah I, I have a friend in my life who i don't know if she listens to the podcast but she's also a fan of taylor swift and when i mentioned that i really enjoyed the 10 minute version of all too well her response was well i mean pretty much anyone can recognize that that's a fantastic song yeah. so i think she thinks i need to pick a more nuanced favorite but it's so know. valid isn't that like one of your <laughs> yeah. favorites too katie yeah i mean i've listened yeah. to all of her music at this point and 10 minute version i would say is probably in my top three wow wow yeah, i know yeah Oh God, just that last, those last three I minutes. Was there, I, was there. I wish I could just listen to that part. So did you ever, so you saw her as like a flamboyant, like enthusiastic theater kid, but did you ever, ever Sincere consider too is the her word. being queer Sincere. at all? Other than like Katie's influence? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure. If I'm bracketing off Katie's influence, I will say, uh, no, I really didn't. I, I guess I had certainly like passively absorbed this image of her for a long time I've been invested in the idea of like queer celebrities closeted celebrities and secret relationships so I think most of me is just primed to see any sort of paparazzi relationship as completely fake so right. I, I definitely saw that with her but I don't think I ascribed any queerness to her I think I was just thinking about it as like career moves like sort of maintain my visibility by being connected to all these high profile men mm -hmm. and they get benefit of my stardom in return like that kind of thing no I don't think I really thought of her as 
a queer woman much until recently. And is that because of Katie or is it because of kind of like her recent music? Katie, it's also because of, I don't know, I guess it is the whole folklore of it all. I guess what happened is the fantasy that Taylor Swift promises from my vantage point as kind of an outsider seemed to shift into something that was, to my mind, very specifically queer and queer female as well. Mm -hmm. This kind of cottagecore, idyllic, basically spinster fantasy, to be honest, yeah. which is like very much coded as a kind of queer female paradise. Um, so as soon as that happened, I knew something was changing. The cottagecore sapphic mm -hmm. aesthetic. <laughs> yeah. Totally. I feel like even if you don't listen to her music and you see kind of her themes and everything, you can still pick up on the fact that it's like cottagecore, which is very closely related to queer women. Yeah. And then it makes it poetic because you're looking at her past and all these men that she's been associated with. And you do get the sense like, oh, this was a corporate industrial machine that was trying to handle Taylor and control her queerness, the queerness of someone who's dysfunctional in terms of the kind of uh, straight female celebrity that is desired by the music industry. Mm -hmm. uh, and then suddenly, yeah, I totally understand why the theories and communities kind of grow like wildfire because it yeah. is this beautiful sort of queer blossoming of Taylor's world that has become mm -hmm. apparent in the past few years for someone like me specifically. I guess my question for you is how long has there been a kind of active gayler community? Like how long does this go back? Yeah, that's a great question. I know that it really began, and Katie, you can correct me if you know of more information, around 2009 or 2010, maybe, when there was, she was on SNL. Yeah. And there was... After the roommate sketch with... Um, with Nassim yeah. Padrad. Nassim Padrad, yeah. And Andy yes. Samberg. And it was kind of born on, um, like, Tumblr and the L chat. Yeah, lesbian message board L chat. I understand why that happened. It is funny how in, ter in terms of detecting queerness within a person, whatever that means, it's often something that is based on just these kind of slight gestures of body language or just this kind of vibe that you get from them. I know Katie showed me a clip of a very young Taylor Swift with Justin Bieber. I think they were on Punk or on a they were on a version of Punk. I don't know, something about the way she held her body something something felt very relatable about yes. it. Even to me as, you know, a queer man who engages with uh, gender and embodiment in a very different way, it still felt somehow relatable as a kind of sign of the queer jumping out. I wanted totally. to ask you about with Miss Americana in particular, are there any moments in that film that just something about it, something abstract or the way she conducts herself? Does totally. It is there a oh. moment that's just queer to you? Yeah. So many. I don't mean Madison, yeah. just jump in. But like the main ones, I think that I and we and and the kind of Gaylor community cling to are all the uh, shots of her recording herself writing her music. Mm -hmm. Like she always is so like in slouchy sweatshirts mm -hmm. and like cozy clothes. And she's always just like sitting in such a comfortable way, like very much the female gaze, you know? Mm -hmm. And just she has like a comfort with herself alone that re resonates so much with queerness because it's like she's a really, she's recording herself for posterity's sake, but she's not recording herself for men 
men to find desirable to consume and there's just something so inherently queer about that of course yeah there's Mm -hmm. um when she wrote the song king of my heart there's a video of her and like her phone's just like on the floor and she's just like sitting on the floor on a pillow and like she's like man spreading like she's like sitting with her legs like fully open and she's just like playing the guitar in like sweatpants and her hair's back and she looks very like like mask in a lot of ways and it's like you never see her like that in the public eye because she's meant to be consumed by the general public which is ran by the male gaze so it's like there's moments like that but then you can also see the um the kind of like the contrast to when she's getting ready for shows and stuff and she's in sequin dresses and she's like uncomfortable and the way she walks is kind of uncomfortable and she's like I can't breathe and she's like I have to act a certain way okay turn it on okay it's time to turn it on I'm gonna walk out now you can see her comfort in those clips in contrast to the way that she's so uncomfortable when she has to present herself to the public in a completely different manner that's the body language that I notice a lot yeah let's get into Miss Americana that's a great transition okay so for context, the main Gaylor uh, interpretation of Miss Americana that you'll hear a lot of people subscribing to is that it was originally supposed to be her coming out movie. And the lore around that is that there's so many hours of footage that was not used, uh, not just raw footage that wasn't used, but the original cut of the movie the director Lana Wilson has said was much much longer and they cut like 90 minutes of it out it was over two hours I believe Mm -hmm. I did not know that but I think it absolutely reads in the film itself something about it feels incredibly uh brisk and like somewhat fast paced it's not very long you do get the sense that something is missing here Something's mm-hmm. been mm. kind of cut out, left on the cutting room floor. You know, it's 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 tough to say that in some ways because she's already so raw and vulnerable in moments of this film. Like it, it definitely doesn't feel like something with a corporate polish to kind of hide who Taylor Swift is. But yeah, something feels like it might be missing at the same time. That was something um our viewers wanted to actually ask you is like, oh. did you feel like it was unfinished? Did you feel like there were parts missing? So it's good to get that feedback that you were like, it felt brisk. I, I wrote in my notes it feels like whiplash at times because it yeah. jumps from so many different things so quickly with no transition or explanation or commentary. It's just news clips explaining her career. Yes, yes. the news clips especially kind of feel like yeah, just this this very fast-paced way of trying to get you up to pace with Taylor Swift. I would wonder if those were a late addition to the film. And if the original, if the original intention was something sort of more low-key, just invested in being at Taylor's side the entire time. I don't know, maybe they felt the story needed a greater perspective on her entire career, or, or they needed some kind of context for people to really understand it. So all that stuff. But yeah, I think it's it's, it's really interesting to me that your listeners asked that because it does feel like sort of two separate instincts that the film is following. Yeah, one that wants to be this very down to earth, just fly on the wall view of Taylor Swift and the other that is 
attempting to provide a kind of official account for the yes. history books of the totally. moment. Yeah. Totally. I love that you said that because it does feel like that to me too. It feels like she knows that this is going to be an account in like a benchmark in her career mm-hmm. and that she wants to be able to look back on it and say this was the full story or at yeah. least the full story that the public was seeing. Was this film released with an album or anything in particular like that? It was released, I would say, less than six months after her Lover album. So it was released January 2020 and Lover came out in Katie's sometime 2019. It was August 2019. That's that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, uh, you need to come down. Of course, premiered June 2019 yeah. for Pride Month, and on April 26th, whatever Lesbian Visibility Day is, that's when she dropped me the single me out now. Out now on Lesbian Visibility Day, but I think the full album didn't come out until late summer. The movie was originally supposed to be called Delicate. I heard someone say. I don't know how true that is. I don't know where that information came from. Lana Wilson. So that's that's partially true. Lana Wilson said the original name they had in their heads was a line from Delicate. Is it cool that I said all that? Uh, Mm -hmm. Which is a line from her previous album, Reputation, um, a song on that called Delicate. Delicate, I mean, without getting into Reputation. Uh, Because that would be a whole four hours is a lot of people think of it as like one of her first coming out songs um, and really like talking about the queer experience and being queer and how delicate it is to be queer in the it's on Lil Nas's pride playlist. Yeah, and Miss Americana is also a part of a title from the album that came out right before this documentary. So on the Lover album, um, there's a song called Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince and Yeah. And that song, the explanation that Swifties give it is that it's about her quote unquote coming out as a Democrat in Miss Americana. And because one of the lines in the song is, we're so sad we paint the town blue. And everyone's like, oh, she's a Democrat. Um, She's spreading the Democratic word. But the song to me feels more sad. And it's more about bearding Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince. If you heard we're so sad we paint the town blue would your immediate instinct be oh she's talking about putting hillary clinton posters up around town i mean that's everyone's favorite thing to do when they're sad right just go out out and put up some democrat (laughs) some democratic flyers that's a very strange because it's it's a lovely kind of saying we're so sad we paint the town blue and it would never i think make sense as an endorsement of the democratic party just because it sounds like she's sad about the democratic party which is not which is not the vibe she has plenty of reasons to be sad about the democratic party but that's not the vibe i got from miss americana right very much she's very excited yeah. about the she, Democratic she's Party. She's very excited and she hates, hates, hates Marsha Blackburn. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> also, the line after that is voted most likely to run away with you, which also feels like it's about bearding. It's like if the shoe fits, you know. Yeah. Well, and it's like, what and it's like a high school superlative. So it's eternally youthful. I, I know she talks about in the film kind of her struggles to really grow up or to like feel grown up sort of is, mm-hmm. is, is more accurate because of the insane life that she's led. But I know the film opens with her talking about um, 
being thought of as good. And that's a really big thing that Katie and I have talked about before. So I'd love to hear kind of just your initial reaction to the film opening up like that and what you were thinking the film was going to be from there. Because she says, I had a need to be thought of as good. It was all I wrote about. It was all I wanted. Um, Those pats on the head were all I lived for. That crushed me. And I was not expecting to get so much of a sad hit off of this film. In a lot of ways, I didn't really know what I was in for. But yeah, that I found that deeply sad, this whole that she's been chasing this good girl image and feeling imprisoned by it in different Mm -hmm. ways as well. No, yeah, she talks about good. And she also talks about happiness a lot. And the two felt sort of linked to me. Like, I found it kind of heartbreaking in a weird way. The um, flashback of her opening a guitar uh, as I believe a, a Christmas present and her reaction was like, I'm so happy. She really punched those three words. And yeah. to me, it's to me, it sounded like someone who has often said they're unhappy and is now saying I'm so happy as a way to maybe get their parents off their back. Oh my or God. To like, to shut down a kind of emotional conversation. Sean, or- I have been thinking about that clip so much the past few days since I watched the film that's been replaying in my head the I'm so happy and it's like you guys can stop now I'm happy I got my guitar exactly like you said to get get your parents off your back and just kind of like you can leave me alone now. I found something that makes me happy that you and can help me pursue. Yeah. And that moment gets kind of echoed. I think just a few scenes later on, she's leaving a concert and she says, I'm so happy. First she says, I'm so happy. And then she kind of corrects to everyone there was they so were happy. So happy. They were, they so, were happy. so happy to watch it. Right. I, I think for Taylor, being a good girl is about being happy or is about mm-hmm. performing happiness and, sh- and showcasing happiness, even when it's not true. Another thing I found interesting that I didn't know until this recent time that I watched it after that clip where she's in the car and she's like they were all so happy whatever and it does sound very sad the way she says it but then she walks into the hotel that she's like staying at she walks into the hotel room and there's a giant bouquet of white roses sitting in the room like a giant bouquet with a little card in front of it and she kind of walks into the room and it's right there And she walks over to the side and just like stares at it. And then it switches scenes. And I always wonder maybe who got those roses for her. If it because you know, artists, like maybe it was just some, someone being like, good job at your show. You know, like I'm sure she gets flowers all the time, but it was like this giant bouquet of white roses. I don't know if that was supposed to mean something. Wow. That's a great detail. I mean, because it is like, oof. A lot about the film makes becoming a, a celebrity seem so horrifying and emotionally mm-hmm. turbulent. And I think that is one of the things. Yeah, the idea that getting flowers maybe becomes such a regular occurrence that any kind of feeling or intensity or um, motivation that could be attached to that as a gesture, you kind of stop being able to feel it. It, it just becomes something kind of, oh, there's some flowers in the room. Right, because it's not this giant stadium cheering for you. It's just a bouquet of flowers. It's not thousands of people like screaming your name I thought it was very brave of her to admit that I know at some point she like says quite honestly like we got into this line of work because we wanted people to like us yes we wanted people to clap for us yeah which musicians actors people don't like to admit that when I first watched the film that was kind of what made me like her again I guess mm-hmm. I was like wow the fact that she has the self-awareness to admit that when I've never heard another artist celebrity singer anyone admit that and that's so true 
that takes a level of self-awareness and vulnerability to admit she kind of goes into too like after that whole scene where she finishes the show she's like those pats on the head and the approval was a catalyst for a lot of psychological paths that I went down and they were not all beneficial and what an interesting choice of words to say psychological paths like what does that mean yeah psychological paths To me, I mean, I think that she's trying to tell us that she has mental illness without actually, like, having to say that she is mentally ill um, or that she's neurodivergent in some way. That's another thing that kind of an adjacent community to Gaylor's, there's a neurodivergent community that really sees, you know, her potentially being on the autism spectrum and Mm -hmm. having autism and or being autistic in some way. Yeah, I mean, that's just so fascinating to me because I mean, I can't speak on that as a holistic person. I can speak to it as being mentally ill and seeing like, oh, of course, she has of course she's been depressed of course she's had depression and and felt overwhelmed and yes yeah, psychological pats almost sounds like someone who's gotten to a point where they're aware that like i'm getting this certain amount of like positive brain feelings like this certain amount of feelings of validation and pleasantness from like this experience yeah i'm on a high but it's not gonna last forever it's just a pat it's just something that i'm like eventually it's gonna wear off yeah she makes it sound like genuinely like she's an addict like if if you switch the context of all of this to being about like drugs those little hits of approval like I lived for that like I was I waited for the next time that I could get a, a bit of approval from the public or from the, my team or she goes into being like I can't change what's going to happen to me but I can control what I write mm-hmm. that's what she says after talking about her psychological paths so I think she yeah. found kind of that outlet and that ability to be like I can't say this with my own words directly to the general public because then I I won't get the p- pats on the head that I want but if I write it into music then I get pats on the head because they acknowledge that as like impressive and I mean that's a great argument for the you know detective work of the entire Gaylor world because it because it, it does suggest like yeah dig deeper look around there's yeah. stuff there's stuff happening in this music that is the only outlet I feel like I have now that mm. I really have control of exactly I mean, that's, that's her biggest thing she's always telling her fans to dig deeper into my lyrics. She was saying on Jimmy Fallon, the release of Red Taylor's version, she said, I started with my very first album uppercasing some letters to form out secret meanings um, in the lyric booklet of my albums because for the explicit reason to make people read the lyrics and analyze the lyrics. So she has incorporated secret messages that she wants her fans to read into for the entirety of her career mm-hmm. and that can't be overstated I don't think because any sort of interpretation that someone's doing she is not only welcoming it but uh setting it up encouraging it demanding it pleading for it pleading I for can't it. control everything else I can only control what I write so please read into what I'm writing it's the only thing I have control over Wow, that scene is crazy. The one where she is fighting with her management team. I think her father about whether or not to publicly endorse Democratic candidates. And I screamed here alone in my apartment watching this when her dad said the names Bing Crosby. And what was the other one? It was Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. 
Bob Hope were the examples of like, how do we create a perfect celebrity brand? And those were the two examples. And it was like, oh my God, what kind of world is this poor woman having to no- negotiate through if the, those ancient <laughs> yeah. uh, dinosaurs are like bottles that she's being encouraged to emulate? It's 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 wild. Yeah, even her mom starts screaming. She's yeah. like, Bing Crosby, Bob Hope? She's like, what? what are you saying? This is not the Republicans that you think they are. And this is not the world that you have built for me to live in. Like, um, yeah, that scene is crazy. And it always shocks me because we hear about all these like hundreds of hours of footage that were not included. And I'm like, if they're showing us this and this is so incredibly intense and heartbreaking, then what what else are we not seeing? Even the clip of her like crying at one point and she's like, it just gets so loud and we don't know what she's crying about. There's no context given to that scene at all where she's talking, I think, to her mom and her team again, but it's in a different setting. And it just makes you wonder like if there were to put that in and make her team look bad in that scene i can't imagine what worse conversations have gone on it's so interesting it really is i mean i think the I think the documentary does kind of an ironic thing where, let's see, how do, I, how do I want to put this? I feel like there's mm-hmm. a irony at the center of the movie. And it's that we see the growing epiphany Taylor Swift seems to be having is like, wow, I need to get the fuck away from all of this stuff. I, I need to find like a more private kind of life, a private way of knowing myself. And mm-hmm. she's telling us that in a very public way <laughs> by being in the spotlight of this documentary. So watching the film, like, as it went on, I I feel like we're encouraged more and more to see it as this kind of knowing deception that Taylor Swift is more and more realizing the need to create a version of herself that the cameras don't get access to. Uh, it, it seems like the bulk of that would kind of be off screen. Maybe yeah. not even in this, you know, rumored two hours of footage that was not used. Like, yeah, it's, it's, she's she's searching for privacy and she's doing that in front of a camera. Yeah. <laughs> in, in a very ironic and strange way. So speaking of privacy in front of the camera, what do you think about the like 45 seconds of Joe Alwyn um, and everything surrounding her relationship, falling in love, you know, specifically falling in love with someone out of the public eye, as she says, um, and then have it be actor Joe Alwyn uh, that she's referring to. We see just Joe's back, right? Like we don't even see his face really. He's wearing a a baseball cap. So it's kind of shielded, but like we do see them hugging but the clips that are like clearly recorded by taylor we don't see anyone we see a shadow we We see see taylor yeah we see a hand yeah uh so then we see then it's kind of like a non sequitur you know you could argue a non sequitur to joe alwyn in a baseball cap hugging taylor after a show yeah wow it is like it almost reads as if the relationship between Taylor Swift and, and Joe Allen is some kind of beard relationship. It does feel like, yeah, the mere moments that he is in this film are like the morsels to give to, I don't know, to the industry, to her fans that have a lot invested on her being straight. Here, here's a few, here's some proof <laughs> that I am engaged in 
heterosexual acts. Just enough for you to to believe it. The hug seemed seemed warm. You know, it didn't seem right. coerced or anything. It seemed like they're, they're people who generally like each other. Like each other, uh, yeah. yeah. And I was going to talk about that with body language too. Um, she does seem comfortable like in that scene with him, but it is interesting the way that they just hug and then they kind of just walk and his arms just around her. And that's, that's kind of it. There was never, it's also interesting because when she's talking about this person that she fell in love with and everything, she never says his name. Um, she never even says he, she just says, yeah. I was falling in love with someone who had a very perfect grounded life and it was all in private, but then it cuts to a scene of them in public behind the stage. So it's that was something so the viewers had asked to discuss too is like well if it's so private why are you you're showing it though so this private relationship you you're talking about is not the one that you're showing yeah you know when she when it was introduced with that voiceover I was kind of doubting myself for a moment I was like oh was there some other person before Joe Allen <laughs> just because the introduction of like a person with a very grounded life suggested to me like oh well this wouldn't be someone in the entertainment industry exactly <laughs> that like rules Joe out of contention here yeah apparently not I guess yeah. based on the story the the film wants to tell us I mean and that's it- a criticism that I hear a lot from my just kind of observation of Hitler's and Swifties like people that really ship Joe Alwyn and Taylor Swift and really like are invested in them being together one of the main criticisms is why does Taylor always treat Joe like he's not a famous actor like he's not in like Oscar nominated films like Mm -hmm. why does she always treat him like he's poor and he writes she writes about him like he doesn't have anything going on like that's one of the criticisms about their relationship and in the context of this movie it's like yeah what do you mean he has a normal life he's trying to get an Oscar like he's trying to be a famous actor he's getting beat up by Emma Stone while wearing clothes from I don't know the 17th century I believe (laughs) like it's not not, not really grounded and humble necessarily oh my god something I noticed you guys too is she says I was falling in love with someone we decided to keep our relationship private and then it cuts to her saying And then I had to go back to my job and make a record that I'm proud of. And then it cuts to Joe. It cuts to them at the backstage like clip where there's cameras flashing too. There's like cameras backstage. It's very public. It's not the fact that she's going, I was falling in love with someone. We decided to keep our relationship private. And then I had to go back to my job. And then it cuts to her and Joe, paparazzi backstage, hugging in front of the camera, doing their little pap walk at the rep tour. And it's it's another one of those contradicting moments of the documentary. The whole thing is so like ironic. It's like you're saying one thing and showing a completely different thing. But I think that's the point. I feel like you cracked it, Madison. That really put everything into perspective for me. I never noticed the timing of her saying, I have to go back to my job and make a record I'm proud of. The film is, I think a really good thing about the film is that the number one thing it makes you desire for Taylor Swift is a life on her own terms, a life that is private and a life that is free from this devastating glare of 
celebrity that I think even since, you know, the release of this film with the entire national uh, concern around Britney Spears and her conservatorship, I think there's a lot of, for a while, people have been aware of the horrible impact of being particularly a woman under the glare of the media in the light of celebrity. But it does seem like people more and more are coming around to realizing just how torturous this, I don't know, maybe that's a foolishly optimistic thing to say, because uh, the system no, sh- shows no sign of stopping at the same time. But it's true that the public is becoming more aware. I mean, we've talked about how Free Britney was a conspiracy theory before she yeah. was free. That, um, talk about something that can't be overstated. People used to uh, all the time be like, Free Britney is embarrassing. Free mm-hmm. Britney is a conspiracy that you're putting onto her, like that no one asked for, like you're making things up. And now it's to say that it's universally accepted. It's like a true. It's just true. Yeah, it's just yeah. true. I mean, yeah. So I I feel like it's not naive for you to say that or optimistic. I, I do think things are shifting in a way. I mean, I have to for self-preservation's sake think that things sure. are shifting. It has to at some point. If if the general public is now aware that Britney Spears was under a abusive conservatorship for 13 years, like that changes everything. That changes everyone's subconscious the way that they see celebrities in the media, no matter if they agree or disagree or think it's severe or not. What was the name of the person that made the famous Leave Britney Alone YouTube video? Uh, yes, Chris Crocker. Chris Crocker. Okay, so Chris Crocker was the butt of a joke for so long. Yes. Literally like a screaming gay person being like, leave Britney alone. Who are we but screaming gay people about Taylor oh, Swift? Sure. Like, yeah. I really believe that too. Like, you know, after the Times documentary of Britney came out, everyone was like, Chris Crocker was right. We should have listened to Chris Crocker. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, listen to screaming gays. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Listen, listen to the listen screaming to us. Listen to the screaming gaze. Um, have you um, talked about Colton Haynes on on uh, the podcast at all? Katie brought him up actually. I think in in our folklore episode, episode three. Um, yeah, we talked about that and Elvira as well. Yeah, I mean, if your listeners have not read it, I mean, I, I feel like Colton Haynes' article that he uh, wrote in Vulture really yes. is doing the Lord's work of like very clearly like naming and pointing out here are all the ways I was pressured into closeting myself. Here's the actively abusive environment I was in. Yeah, how he was basically heavily encouraged to fake a relationship with Lauren Conrad. We think this is a thing of the past, but it really is not. And that's that's the problem that I, I face with a lot of Hitlers. It's like, why wouldn't she come out though? It's not the 19th century. And like, and it's, of course, it's straight people saying this. So it's like, it is though. Hollywood very much lives in the generation of Bob Hope and Bing Crosby. <laughs> so I actually, I wanted to bring up how people say it was supposed to be a coming out movie. I'm not sure if I believe that or not, but in the context of if I did believe it, it kind of would make sense considering around the time that her Lover album came out, so late 2019, was when the Masters heist happened and Scooter Braun uh, bought her Masters and everything and she was like betrayed by that whole situation. So in that context, it would make sense for them to have to switch the movie to switch Miss Americana to be more of like a redemption 
to the public of Taylor Swift, hence all of the kind of like revisiting all of her old narratives and the the old things that happened in the past because it, she knew she was going to re-record her albums by this point. And she knew that these narratives needed to be involved in the PR of these albums and promoting them. So talking about things like the Kanye situation and revisiting all of her different like eras in the movie and going through what all the media was saying, not even like revisiting them from her point of view, but from everyone else's just to kind of gain back like public trust almost and be like, hey, remember how shitty I was treated by the media and by the general public? And then later on releasing her re-records and being like, now can you please give me the recognition that I deserve without all the shitty PR narratives? Um, so that is one thing that would make it make sense to me. Miss Americana was somehow reworked because of the master's heist. Yeah. She needed, she needed that boost. That, I mean, that's the thing. Like, it's really hard to pinpoint a potential Taylor timeline because of the master's heist, because of her shift into her re-record era and like what that means, especially because so many people were doubting that it would be uh, financially beneficial to anyone if she re-recorded her albums. Like I recently came across a, an article from Rolling Stone like three years ago speculating on whether it would make any sense at all for Taylor to record her albums and pretty much universally everyone was like no it wouldn't it's completely yeah. unprecedented and no one is going to buy an album they can already have um, and god how wrong they were how wrong they were because of the insane records that Red Taylor's version broke but anyways how I just wish like- to say something like that to Taylor Swift who will literally <laughs> prove everyone wrong in her path and just out of spite not even out because she wants to <laughs> Like, but yeah, I mean, it's just so hard to think of like a parallel universe where this didn't happen um, because the past three years really have been marked by by when that was going to occur. I mean, what a weird world in general, the fact that the pandemic happened and then we got folklore evermore. That would have yeah. never yeah. happened without right. it. So it is really, really weird to think about what the world would look like, what Taylor's world would look like if things were just a little different. I mean, I'm assuming Sean doesn't know this. There was this AT&T um, like series that was released when she was making her Reputation album, and it was all videos from her iPhone that she recorded while she was making the album. A lot of those clips were included in Miss Americana. Um, so like kind of like the iPhone ones that were in the studio, not like the cameras following her around, were all from like three years prior. All of those clips were already released in like the AT&T web series thing. So it seemed even more just like unplanned and like reworked to me because I was like, if you have all these hours and hours of footage of you making your most recent album, why are you using clips that were already released? We've already seen them. And I have no idea about this. Yeah, This is the first I'm hearing. Thank you so much for knowing that. Yeah, because it, you know, it cuts from the Kanye stuff into her making rap and look what you made me do and like all these clips that I had already seen like I was like why are you showing this again you know like so yeah just even more weird things about it that just don't really make sense because if it was supposed to be such like an insider look why are we seeing news clips that we already lived through why is no one else speaking someone wanted me to ask you about that too I guess the normal 
kind of format for a documentary would be interviews with like several people talking about whatever the topic is of the documentary. And someone was like, Miss Americana is just Taylor speaking. It, it definitely feels very intimate as a result. The listeners are right. That's not the convention whatsoever. There are probably some other documentary films who have, who have done something like that. The um, Amy Winehouse documentary that came out a few years before Yeah, that employs a wide array of people who had some connection to Amy Winehouse, some sort of, uh, some reasons to opine on her career. It makes the film feel more intimate, and it also works with the thesis well of, you know, this is Taylor struggling to create her own world. It kind of helps us to shut everyone else's voices out. It also emphasizes how lonely she feels, which is a big part of the film too. You know, the idea that it was heartbreaking, right? Like she talked about like not really having anyone to call uh, when she won. I think it's when she won the Grammy for 1989. And that's another moment where I was really impressed with how like raw and vulnerable she was willing to be because that's kind of a big thing to admit that like it's kind of a call out to most of the people in her life in a way that it's it's like none of you completely yeah I didn't feel like any of you were the people that I would go to in a moment like this like I, I that's how alone I felt Well, I'm so glad that you brought that up too, because she even says like, I had my mom, like, Mm -hmm. and her mom is by far the most present person in that film besides Taylor. And I mean, I, when I think of, you know, that question that one of our listeners asked, like, where are the other voices talking? The only one that really would make sense in the film that we got to me is if Andrea Swift was speaking directly to the camera at some times, but we never even hear her. So yeah, I mean just that unbearable loneliness she's saying like I really love the artistic choice to only have Taylor speaking to the camera because it's not about what everyone else says about her it's about what she is saying about herself and how she's also fully is that's another part of the irony and of it is like it also fully is about what everyone else is saying because it cuts from these news clips to just her talking and then it's the news clips and then it's her talking And the only time that Andrea kind of really speaks is when she's talking about when she got cancer. It was all of Taylor's struggles. And then on top of it, she's also there for her mom, the only person in her life. And she has to also be a crutch for her in a lot of ways. That scene was really interesting that they chose to include Andrea kind of taking over and talking about her her cancer diagnosis and everything and Taylor was just like yes mom we know you had cancer like da 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 and I know she was kidding but it it felt like she was exhausted you know another thing that I've had to deal with amidst all of this is yes your cancer another reason I felt like that moment made such an impact in the context of the film it was also the introduction of Andrea's Great Dane I I don't remember the name of the great day this huge clumsy chaotic beautiful animal and it pairs well with the focus on cats with taylor i think a cat is one of the first images of the film there's definitely something and i've talked with katie about this before there's something with women celebrities kind of feeling the captivity and constraints of their position and reaching out to animals for help 
because just because animals seem to represent some kind of non-human way of just engaging with the world, relaxing and being in the world that isn't about all of the crap that defines what their complicated celebrity lives has become. Yeah. Like I feel like Fiona Apple's most recent album is all about this for that reason. It, it incorporates lots of dog sounds throughout. There's references to uh, fruit bats, which I can't think of a more queer sounding animal than that. Yeah, there's something about people getting attached to what animals represent in that way, like a kind of freedom away from all the, the crap that humanity has forced upon them. Have you heard a uh, fruit bat as a term, as an alternative term to fag hag, a fruit bat? I haven't heard that. I love it, though. Yeah, I really love it, too. Back when I was a straight ally and I was just like, I love my gay friends. I was like, I'm a fruit bat. And it's like, guess what? I'm just fruity and batty, actually. (laughs) Wait, Sean, I love that. I've never noticed that. But even I thought about Lord's recent album. She sang a song about like her dog that died. And she was like, there's a song where she's singing about how over fame she is and how tired she is of being famous. And in the song, she says, at least I have a dog who comes when I call and it's like a way of being seen without being judged or without being told what to do or analyzed in any way it's a way of companionship absolutely like we're not sure but I would guess that animals don't really understand what optics are and I don't think animals really understand the idea of performing for the camera or putting up a kind of front that their management teams will enjoy. And I think there's something about that that certainly would appeal to someone like Taylor. I never thought of that. I, I love that. It's such a poetic interpretation of that scene. Um, that scene is really crucial to me and my understanding of Taylor. Similar to the punked clip that I'll show anyone mm. who will listen. It shows a side of Taylor specifically her dark humor that has become so special to me because of course it could be read I love your interpretation Madison too that it's exhaustion when she's like yeah mom I know you're cancer but to me it just like when I that scene of Taylor being so annoyed about the dog like so like I hate this like why is there a dog (laughs) on my private plane he's too big he's He's too too big big. (laughs) and then and like she's like super annoyed and then her mom's like yeah he was my cancer dog Taylor's like okay we get it mom like I'm sorry you had cancer she literally says yeah. like sorry you had cancer yeah and I love that like I just I love how funny Taylor is like in a real it really, way it's such a real representation of her dark humor that's a great point I just feel like it's rooted in something deeper I guess oh, yes. like exhaustion well, what is dark humor true. yeah thank yeah. you exactly what is dark yeah. humor but a way to articulate cope. cope a way to cope like that's why I identify so much with someone when they have dark humor I'm like oh you have something dark inside you oh you you've have been some through pain. shit yeah like yeah. we can relate to each other it's mm-hmm. also not something that a good girl would say yeah uh, right. so there's that added kind of moment of freedom Fair. for her from that mm-hmm. And I mean, that's the thing. A lot of the candid moments you get from Taylor, even when she was a kid, aren't of her being a good girl. They're her being a little bratty. They're her being a little entitled, a little rough around the edges. If anything, that kind of reiterates to us that she has had to try to be a good girl. And that trying and sometimes falling short is critical to who she is. 
and her well-being. You know, you talked about shame in the most recent episode that I listened to, like the idea that if so many of Taylor's songs are about shame and like, where is that coming from for this, you know, at one point, very young girl to be writing so much about shame and and how you attributed that to, you know, feelings of uh, queer sexuality, confusion, not knowing one's place in the world. Mm. Watching this documentary, I also kind of wondered if all child stars have Mm. some sort of shame like if they end up feeling kind of monstrous you know just because their lives are so unusual they live such a strange like mangled version of what childhood is uh they think about you know presenting themselves to crowds so early on and like you know big smiles and like perfect Mm. kind of presentation that could be a place for a lot of the shame in her music too just the idea of having to grow up this way right and presenting this image that so many other young people your age are looking up to and you're like that's not even really really Really, truly who I am all the time or that and does didn't come even with the get to live it. It, it like she's saying like she's promoting an image of like like here's the fantasy of being a mm-hmm. happy young preteen girl and it's something that she never even got to live because she mm-hmm. was too busy supporting the fantasy of it I think it's such a choice for the song and the movie to be Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince not Miss Americana and Mr. Americana obviously that wouldn't work because Jesus can you imagine those <laughs> from <terrible>. London <laughs> But like, you know, like, why, why is she not the princess to his prince? Why is she Miss Americana, an independent thing? And he's Heartbreak Prince. Heartbreak Prince, yes. Heartbreak Prince, cool. Also isn't a great name to give your partner. Um, That's really what I dive into in my Miss Americana and the Heartbreak of being a good girl PowerPoint, because I really am like stuck on the interpretation of the song as being about high school superlatives rumors and like the idea that the entertainment industry and the world that taylor lives in is as catty and unpredictable and cruel as a high school like an imaginary Mm -hmm. high school yeah and and like what those labels mean miss americana and the heartbreak prince are like superlatives uh Mm -hmm. or taunts that like her classmates gives her yeah that aren't based in reality and totally connecting to new romantics and her which is like the most queer anthem in the world sean like it's it's genuinely she's singing about stonewall in the song she's like i could build a castle out of all the bricks they threw at me it's it's Um, one of my it's talk about top three favorite taylor songs i feel like new romantics is frequently ricochets between uh, one and two of my favorite taylor songs but in the song she says honey life is just a classroom life is just a classroom and she's like this is why i'm getting bullied in this fake classroom school scenario because i'm queer i'm not like them and in miss americana she just rolls with that narrative so many years later that song came out in with 1989 so it's like so many years later she's still comparing her career and Hollywood to being like a school with like catty high school drama and rumors and I'm completely obsessed that you named that Madison I love that song obviously and I never have put those two together so clearly in my mind yeah I mean such a nightmare to be like (laughs) the idea that your life is that you are interpreting life as school for the for the rest of your life I mean I I want to talk I'm in grad school I guess I kind of feel like that in a way but not in the same 
every day and everything is high school. God, what, yeah. a, what a hellacious purgatory that would be. You know? No yeah. wonder she's she's singing on folklore about being 17. Like she still is 17 in her head, you know, like. That's so true. And she says it at the end of Miss Americana. You know, she repeats back that idea that you are the age that you stopped. Became famous at. That you, you became you famous freeze. and you yeah. stop growing. And I mean, that's exactly right. That's why she's still writing about her world as if she were a high schooler. Because that's when she became famous, when she was in high school. Yeah. And not to mention in August, she's like, well, you call when you're back at school. Obviously, it's the whole high school narrative and folklore to connect that's to that. So cool. But it reminds me, I'm like, if you had a partner that was like famous as well and like had to go off and work or something, it's like, will you call when you're back at this weird school function where you're going to go be named miss americana like you know what i mean yeah i think the most vulnerable parts of the movie are the sexual assault case and her talking about her struggles with eating and like her eating disorder and body image so i would love to know your thoughts on that sean just kind of not your thoughts but just kind of your your initial feelings to it of course i mean yeah for those i guess i did feel like i wanted I did want more context from the film, but I just lacked the context. Were these things that people already knew about prior to the release of the film or not? Mm-mm. They didn't. Okay. So that is pretty huge. That's, mm-hmm. that's really huge to, to release that in this kind of a, in this kind of a way. And yeah, I thought, um, I thought she was incredibly brave in, in the way she spoke about both. I thought, do you believe the the documentary almost invites us to think of like the sexual harassment case as a kind of gateway for her into larger political advocacy. Do you think that's true? Or do you think that's just a kind of, that's just a narrative the film is inviting us to believe in? I, I'm glad you brought that up because I thought Me of too. that. What a palatable story that she was just this privileged girl that never had to think about politics, never had to mm-hmm. worry about things being bad for her until mm-hmm. one time something bad happened to her. And then that was her one moment that made her open up to how bad things were. I mean, that's an extremely palatable story. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest criticisms of Taylor among all of her fans in the Gaylor community across worlds is that she only seems to care about things that directly affect her. And I mean, that's one of the biggest arguments that she is gay because she cares so much about queer rights. When you think about Taylor only caring about things that directly affect her. But I mean, how realistic is it that a young woman in Hollywood would only have one brush with assault yeah that's what I was thinking as well wildly unrealistic this just happens to be the guy that like sued her for defamation well and it happened to be on camera right I mean Mm -hmm. that's a big part of it too that like they could pinpoint a photo where this assault happened 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, the fact when you think about it being a random radio DJ who, you know, assaulted Taylor and then Taylor was able to at the time go to go to his boss because he was not in a like she was in a bigger position of power um, structurally and being like he he assaulted me and then being like, oh, my God, you're fired. I can't believe you assaulted Taylor Swift. You know, obviously I'm projecting what actually happened. It might have been way more complicated than that, but that we never heard about that happening it was only because he sued her for defamation of character and like losing her his job that taylor was called to this think about how many times people that were in bigger positions of power than her could have taken advantage of her could have come onto her and we would have never heard about that because the people in bigger positions of power have the final say not taylor exactly so if anything like i hope to god for her sake for all people's sake like i hope to god that was her only brush with assault I I really hope that for her because no one deserves to have more than any any brush with that but realistically I'm like this probably was so cathartic for her to finally be able to articulate something that she as a woman has to deal with constantly in terms of that being the fuel for her to come out as a democrat I think it's honestly it's kind of it's kind of an absurd like cop out to me Because making sexual assault something that is either Democratic or Republican already seems very counterintuitive. So that bothered me a lot, actually. Yes, absolutely. Why is sexual assault something that pushes you into politics? That's not a political thing. That's not not a political... That's not a political topic. That's not a topic up for debate. That's not a topic that's left or right. That's a topic of humans treating each other like humans. And so for her to be like this is what kind of led me to want to speak out. Something is like so changed since the trial and this and that. I hope to God that's not the reason that she wanted to say that she's a Democrat. I hope to God that that was not the only reason. I think it was just an easy reason in the film. Like you said, Sean, it was just something palatable. Well, that's what- But it did kind of piss me off, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It adds another layer of pain to the film that like she has these- two traumas that she's living with you know with sexual assault with her eating disorder Mm. and the way she can disclose both of them has to be so like carefully managed and and construed particularly with the sexual assault piece Mm -hmm. articulated into a narrative of um I have to stick up for the little guy now yeah it, it 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 absolutely hurts that that's um it, it feels like that's what she's forced to do in a strange way uh, mm-hmm. by this film. Um, the end of it is totally. quite chaotic, I think, in ways. <laughs> like when all of a sudden the Fab Five and uh, Todrick Hall are there. Um, yeah. I don't know what I don't. Was that the video for you need to calm down or? Yeah, yeah. it cuts. It cuts like from the sexual assault trial, I believe, if I remember, because I remember when I was watching it a few days ago, I was like, what the fuck was that whiplash? That's why I wrote the word whiplash because it cut <laughs> yeah. from the sexual assault trial and her like talking about that directly to a clip, like to the scene of the trailer park. And it was just silence, like a still camera shot of an empty trailer park with rainbows everywhere. And I was like, what, where did we just go? Like, I don't understand. I don't understand. If, if the sexual assault trial was your 
fuel to say that you're a Democrat? Why are we now in a gay trailer park? Like, I don't understand. The two don't link up as, as cleanly as I think. The, the sexual assault to gay trailer park pipeline, it does not add up to it's, me. It's not a straight pipeline. Like, all. it's not a straight one, that's for sure. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. not. But yeah, I, there even is a moment where whiplash is absolutely the right word for it. All of a sudden we're in this trailer park and I think she asks like Jonathan Van Ness, it's some crazy, <laughs> it's some crazy question. She, like, she's just like, what do I do? Or something like Yeah, that. she goes, what can I do to help? What, what do I do next? And, and Jonathan just goes, I, I think Jonathan doesn't really know quite what to say. Because I, I wrote it down. I think Jonathan responds to her and just goes, just, just talk about it. Yes. <laughs> it sounds like such a worried, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, definitely. Yes. I was questioning like, the tone of the movie at that point where it's, it, it, part of me was like, oh, are they trying to kind of make fun of these people right now? And I think they are a little bit. Like what? Because there's also a scene where like Taylor talks about joining the resistance, right? She like throws oh, that yeah. off. Oh yeah, I wrote that down. Mother I says wrote that. that down. Her mother, mother says, says that. that. Andrea goes, "Cheers to the resistance," because they're literally just posting about Marsha Blackburn. That's all it was. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and then Tree, Tree's there when Andrea says that, and Tree goes, "Stop it." <laughs> And I love it. Pay, it. It felt very warm. Her uh, is Taylor's publicist, by the way, Sean. Oh, okay. the red-haired lady that was that yes. was with her on the couch. She is okay. storied in the Gaylor community because a common joke is the idea that Tree pa- we're on Tree Payne's hit list. All the <laughs> yeah. Gaylors. Oh, Tree Payne. And there was yeah. recently. Oh, do you want to know some real tea? Some I, do, I really do. Tea? That's why I was lying here. Okay, in 2012. Tree Payne, this is before Tree Payne was hired by Taylor Swift for her publicist. In 2012, Tree Payne uh, had a nice day at the gun club and decided to have a photo of herself holding a gun at the gun club, posted about this on Twitter. So in 2012, there's a photo of, and the caption says, just another day at the gun club. And Gaylers, being how we are, aka insufferable and amazing detectives, took a not a screenshot of this tweet but retweeted this quote retweeted it and said basically just started going off and this was like a a week or so ago and (laughs) captions were like you know i i mentioned um how fruity taylor's lyrics were at a secret session and tree called me aside uh and then there was a gunshot but i'm sure it was nothing it was unrelated it was unrelated unrelated. and i took a screenshot of it and sent it to madison and i was like "Uh uh-oh it sounds like she's heard the podcast um (laughs) no yeah yeah yeah. trees practicing trees are regular like dick cheney over there (laughs) 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 to the gun range and then something happens exactly but (laughs) But anyway, so that was from 2012. Because of all the Gaylers retweeting it, Tree Pain deleted the tweet, which means that she knows about Gaylor. Like, we already knew that, of course, because she's a publicist. So, of course, she sees what people write about Taylor. But for her to be interacting, actively hating something... Oh, I hate I've, being reminded that she too. knows who we are. I have chills. <laughs> how, much, how much do you think she knows? Like, do you think she just saw... Mm. Everything. Everything. You everything. think everything? I can see a world where tree... she just saw that this was, like, newly popular. And no. she was like, oh, it's kind of... I shouldn't have this out. I'm just deletes. 
but no tree knows everything tree, tree knows, knows the gaylers tree knows everything tree. i don't i don't know tree obviously but they they frame her to be a very supportive person to taylor and that tree's very much like down for what taylor is down for she's just looking out for her in the sense of like this is what could potentially happen by you doing this um so i appreciate that aspect of the documentary. Mm-hmm. is she a giving tree rest under my branches rest under my shade mm. i mean that's shade the... never made anybody <laughs> shade from the, the math tree. The shade from tree, tree never, never made, made anyone hold on else. let me get my red lines to make a chart somewhere around. exactly the red oh, if i flip my camera yeah. around my my board <laughs> it's all connected to me the question is always going to be unless we get some answer i can't imagine that we ever will like how much does taylor have control over the colleagues and her staff like is tree hired primarily by like her family her company does taylor have the ultimate veto in something i mean we all i think like to think that taylor has the ultimate say you know if she doesn't like how tree is as a publicist she would fire her i mean i would love to think that that's true but again it's like how do we really know you know i bet it's mostly true but yeah, there is there is a little part that 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 is unknowable, and that's unfortunate. But yeah, I would like to think at this point that if Taylor, if there's someone she truly doesn't want around in her entourage, that would be that's something they could make happen. Like to, I mean, to we know her dad person. has not been around lately. Her dad has go. not been around, so maybe he was he maybe she didn't want him around anymore, business wise, and. She had the power to say yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't even on camera for the scenes that he was in. When Taylor oh, goes like to one his, second. Yeah, mm-hmm. you see like this. He's in it. I feel like he's in it less than Joel would even. Yeah, he Like is. on yeah. camera. Mm-hmm. I mean, when Taylor goes to his house, you don't mm-hmm. see him. When she's talking, the camera's just facing her and her mom. And Scott is like, yeah, like a shrouded figure. It's just so weird. It's made even more weird by, we've described it already, but the way that uh, her mom feels like the second most important character in the film, it really kind of, it really kind of amplifies that as an, as an absence here. I was wondering, like, is this a case where Taylor's father is always like the man behind the curtain and that's why we're not seeing him? Or is it that she doesn't want him around? made me wonder that too me too that's kind of the main thing that I that I wonder because I mean Scott Swift was on the board of Big Machine Records he was in he was like aware of Taylor's masters being sold um and he had stock he had money tied up in it he was he was on that side of it but yeah I think I think Taylor does project a little bit of kind of like how she always talks about she had this fantasy of love when she was growing up and like what it was supposed to be I think it's like also what she wanted her parents to be obviously and how she hoped that would turn out um and she gets a lot of it like from them like her singing and speak now about like 
we got bills to pay and like we're gonna move into our own place and we're gonna do this and that like it just sounds like she's emulating her parents story and being like and that's what I'm gonna do next because that's what we were supposed to do um and even to um I bet you think about me when kitchen table bills kitchen table bills no it wasn't (laughs) it wasn't a mansion it was just a giant two-story house on like a 10-acre farm with like a spiral staircase no I'm just kidding not spiral staircase but like well, come I, on, really. there is a brief scene where I think they're in the house that her parents own now or like now in terms of time that it was like what is this Napoleonic estate yes it's like Marie Antoinette the Sofia mm-hmm. Coppola version I mean, I, so I hate that line and I bet you think about me. I always like scream it because it is so funny to me. Like, no, it wasn't a mansion. (laughs) It wasn't Um, a mansion. And it's like, it was a mansion. I promise you that's a mansion. And to me, I'm just like, oh, this is probably another bait and switch on Taylor. Her saying like, it wasn't a mansion it's like oh she's lying Mm -hmm. she's lying and that's something we can prove that she's lying Mm -hmm. about and that's a great easter egg for the whole song being a lie basically yeah and same it's like the same thing in endgame when she's like here's the truth from my red lips and then in the video she's not wearing red lipstick at all all the shit i'm writing about most of the time i'm lying about in some way or fabricating like exactly to fit the narrative that you all have She's very crafty, isn't she? Mm, Ooh, very she crafty. Is. That's a great word. Mm-hmm. One more thing that I wrote down quite a bit of notes about that I kind of forgot about actually about Miss Americana was when she was filming the Me Music video with Brendan Urie. And yes, she first of all, she laid it all out exactly like what she wanted it to look like. And then it she even did. showed how she did it exactly how she laid it out. And then when she's actually on the music video, she's seems really down and all of it is just clips of her putting herself down yes being like I wrote all of the I wrote all of the quotes down that she said that I thought were self-deprecating she said I always look mad I have a slappable face I look like I'm plotting I look like a walrus I keep looking down because I'm afraid and it shows I do think that there's a better version of me that isn't this the plotting, I'm so glad you brought that up because that really did stay with me. The one-two punch of, we see her planning it and we see her being so excited about the plans for this video. And then we see the reality where it's she is just tearing herself down the entire time. The specificity of the way she's tearing herself down, oh, it just sucks. Because it's like, you see how a lot of what people thought about her really worked. It really got into her brain. That was a note I think the film played very well. It, like, it emphasized how the two things people thought about Taylor Swift in, the, in this kind of time period were that she's calculated and she's fake. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it repeats that over and over again. And that's what she's looking for when she watches back the footage of that video. She's like, what is she plotting? What is she hiding? And it's like, this, this poor woman has just been completely, like society told her what to be paranoid about in a very like literal way not just in the abstract ways that society tells us all what to be paranoid about yeah society said yeah. you taylor you are calculated and fake yeah and she, she received that message and can't stop seeing it everywhere she looks it's, it's yeah 
yeah, it's, it's really sad. And for a video that is so about like, you'll never find another like me, I'm so special and unique and amazing and like this and that, like I have my flaws, but I'm still me. And then meanwhile, in the behind the scenes, she's just like looking at the clips back and she's like, why do I look like that? I don't like this version of me. And it's like, uh, it's it's another one of the contrast things that we see in the film of like, her being so excited for the video and then once it's actually happening she realizes like the reality sinks in of like people are gonna see this and not like it so you bringing up that uh her speculating on what the music video will be like seen um Mm -hmm. i'm glad you brought us there because that is the main takeaway from a gaylor perspective of the film is when she's listing all of the things that make me me and mm-hmm. she says, cats, oh, what is unicorns, rainbows, rainbows, glitter. and then she says, Western, gay pride. Boots. Western country, mm-hmm. Western boots, mm-hmm. gay pride, all the things that make me me. What and the, is and saying that in front of a pants out pansexual person, the only yes. time she felt comfortable saying something like that in the film, the only time that she uses we or me or like ownership over gay or queerness is when she's in front of another queer person um so just out of context of everything else in that film what do you think about that and then in context of everything else in the film what do you think about that yes I'm glad we got here this is I guess the other thing I knew about Taylor Swift before uh this journey is I certainly knew the music video for you need to calm down and the entirety of that song and I reacted to it quite negatively when I first heard it and saw the video as many people did so did me and Madison yeah yeah and because the video to watch it totally does look like this kind of weird diluted fake version of pride that isn't actually in solidarity with queer people or is just a vague kind of marketing strategy and that's the other thing that's so interesting about Taylor Swift is like occasionally some of her videos will have that feeling to it but then if you think this is actually a queer person putting on that feeling of uh, that performance of fake pride like that's quite a crazy thing that is very unique to uh the particular (laughs) 2022 moment we're in right now it's like so meta (laughs) it really is it's like yeah it's strange but um so yeah just hearing it in the context of miss americana where she says the things that make me me it does have a different ring to it all of a sudden it's um yeah it kind of points at the big questions of what does taylor want that the film has kind of kept vague for a lot of its running time taylor wants privacy she wants some sort of life out of the glare but what does she what does she want her day-to-day to be like what kind of partner does she desire for herself and i feel like yeah, when she said the things that make me me and included gay pride, it did feel a bit like a slip. It reminded me of the moment where th- <laughs> this is an important scene in the film to me. She's like having dinner alone with a friend in her very like well-appointed home. It yeah. feels very lonely though, because the house is huge and like it's it's just, it, it feels very cavernous. And yes. they're talking about their friends having babies and the best Taylor can do to sort of contextualize that for herself is to compare it to a Tamagotchi. And I found that very sort of, I was like, oh, look at this queer orphan lost in space, just kind of trying to find something to tether herself to a heterosexual timeline. 
and the best she could do is a, a vintage toy uh, because that's, that's the best means she has has a really understanding or grasping on to what straight goals are supposed to be like whatever those are and so yeah it feels like that moment is echoed when she's here talking about gay pride and it actually does feel like oh yeah this is this is her this is the woman we've been trying to see for the entire film. She's, and she, there are things about her that are kind of cringy and too sincere, but she loves glitter. She loves everything that is like gay and big capital rainbow letters. She's trying to remake her life however she can. And there's, there's, there's something quite beautiful about that. Yeah, she, she kind of says that word for word. She's like, mm-hmm. I'm relearning how to be yeah. a person. She said she's also deprogramming the misogyny in her own brain. That was a great quote, too. Uh, I really have tears in my eyes, you comparing her to a queer orphan, uh, tethered, <laughs> untethered in space, really yearning yeah. for, for tether to herself and her identity. I mean, it's because she, she's yeah. so isolated. As queer people, you hopefully find some sort of line to something culturally emotionally spiritually that makes you feel part of the world part of a kind of queer community some but kind of like string yeah is that yeah. a oh there's a song called invisible <laughs> string <laughs> you're looking for an invisible string and yeah it's so much harder to do that when your life is like hers where there's so much enforced isolation that is also paired with over visibility where everyone can is kind of looking at you all the time because it also makes you wonder it's the only friend of hers that you see too this friend Abigail that she's it seems like kind of a distant friend but it's at the same time it's a friend that was willing to come all the way out there to her house wherever that was and it seemed like for a gathering of just the two of them which is also a very Mm -hmm. like to me, that suggests a lot of intimacy and trust. You know, you don't really want to do a one-on-one with someone who is just a very loose acquaintance to you. Yeah, there's a lot about that scene that kind of sends the mind, really. Also, yeah, a little that, context. That, that seems, oh, oh, yes, yes, please. Oh, <laughs> please, a little scrap context. <laughs> context. Please, mommy. <laughs> A little thing that's very, very, very interesting about the I had no one to call is that she was very publicly in a relationship with Calvin Harris at the time. Right. That was not after they broke up. That was smack dab in the middle of them being in a very public relationship. Is that one of the shorter ones? No, that is her longest relationship to date. Oh, no, excuse me. Joe Alwyn is her longest relationship to date. But that's two. At the time, yeah. At the time, yeah. And the thing with Calvin and her is that they posted publicly a lot. Like, Mm. they were very much, like, Taylor was always, like, my boyfriend. Um, You know, like, photos of them together. Like, very gushy public stuff. They go on vacations. They fly to each other from Vegas to New York all the time, every week. And it was very public. And she's still like, I had no one to call. I was all alone. Yeah, it's like she's literally remembering like from the documentary she's remembering that time in her life and being honest and and like not remembering or deciding to just give up the hoax of them being together well yeah it's like madison brought up earlier in in that moment when we see joe alwyn it's uh yeah that's part of the job right Mm -hmm. like this kind of pairing with 
man is 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 part of the celebrity my job is to manage this celebrity that is also named taylor swift and something that that taylor swift does is she uh has relationships with men from time to time so that she can write songs about it and so people can yeah assign the songs to the men and to the relationships Mm-hmm. I love thinking of her that way because as a, as a person who's part of her job is managing a character named Taylor yeah. Swift because how drag queen that is. How drag oh, yeah. queen she's, she Oh my god. Thinking of it that way as her creating a mythology for herself and how palatable that makes it. Like I think all the time about how when you think about you know how so many Swifties say like because this is a common thing a lot of Swifties that uh you know are Hitlers and really believe that she's straight are committed to her being straight say they would feel betrayed by her if she came out because she would have been lying this whole time to them and the they they say that a lot is like I would hate her because she would have just I been lying her. to us I trust, I trust her. her word and to me, it's like, really? Like, isn't it fun to think of it as like a character? And like, yeah. isn't that fun? Like, why don't you just let a little more drama into your life? Isn't why that what you... she's been trying to say since Blank Space that this is a yes. character? The Reputation tour itself looked like a drag show to me. When I first watched that, I was like, she is a character and now I love her again because I remember that this is a character. This whole movie looks like a drag show in different ways. And you know, the times that I thought it the most, ironically, were like a lot of the child star scenes where she is like going full country. And I guess when she was like a younger gal and is in more of a country phase, it's like she is putting on a performance right now. Like this doesn't yeah. feel Our very little organic. Pennsylvania girl yeah, absolutely. moving to Tennessee. You know, I had to, I'm just, I'm looking through my notes of things that I hadn't got to yet. And the oh, only things I'm finding, only things I find are just weird stray moments that I felt the need to comment on. Just mm-hmm. one other moment that felt like sort of the queer in Taylor was uh, jumping out of her was in the archival clip of her fist bumping David Letterman. Uh, just because, and, and I think they were fist bumping yeah. over over like her being apolitical. I think yes! that was, that's what they were fist bumping over. Uh, God bless the director who decided to like do a very sort of artificial punch in on that footage to yeah. get a closer look at Taylor's face as all that's happening. And she's just- And she's like- <laughs> She doesn't know what she's doing. Yeah, yeah. she's what? very much- She's like, like okay. I love the approval. Yes! <laughs> yeah. I'll fist it's like, up this I got a weird, pat. I got a this, pat on the head. I got a pat from this weird old man. <laughs> oh my god! I that part. Oh, I forgot about that part. Yeah, David Letterman. His things, because his thing back then, you know, was sort of about like he would take these female celebrities down. Like he would show. Lindsay Lohan and Paris uh-huh. Hilton for like the vapid women that they were. You know, there's this very kind of misogynistic culture of like make female celebrities like actively humiliated for what they're forced to represent by a larger industrial. But Taylor's capitalism. a good girl. Taylor's, Taylor's a, good a good girl that girl. doesn't push her politics. So she gets a fist bump. Gets a fist bump for that. And what a dream to get a fist bump from David Letterman. <laughs> <laughs> No higher 
no higher honor in, in my mind. <laughs> yes, a joke for anyone uh, that can't. Yeah, <laughs> I that part kills me. Uh, so, so I feel so bad. Like my heart aches for Taylor at that part in a, such an embarrassing cringe way. Like that's the other thing too, is that I cringe a lot watching Taylor do things in the past, especially, um, and that cringe does not come from a place of like othering her or thinking that she's wrong or bad the cringe comes from like oh no I've been there oh no I see myself in her oh Mm -hmm. no this is too much for me to handle right now (laughs) no like secondhand embarrassment like oh my god I've been in situations where I've tried to fit in and like been the cool girl that like doesn't get involved in things for the sake of approval because that's what we have to do and like yeah Yeah, there is a time there's a time in my life I would have fucking loved for David Letterman to think that I was good and a good person Mm -hmm. and there's also that clip um shit where she's like she's like I'm just a singer no one wants to hear my political opinions they want to hear me write sad breakup song and then and then she does that same face of like everyone's happy to hear that that's true she's like I don't know what that means but I'm happy you guys like it people People were I think it was I think it's met by applause of like both clips when she says that it's it's yeah Yeah. it's it's quite it's 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 quite scary (laughs) I wrote down that I also forgot that Taylor Lautner was present for the Kanye moment at the uh oh that's why he's in the cast okay yeah he's on he's on stage at that moment which i which totally was not in my memory of that whatsoever and it's so interesting these like these two these two scared queer children up on stage did you notice his nervous um his nervous leg shaking he was like tapping his leg the whole time because oh, I don't know I if didn't. he felt uncomfortable or or if he felt uncomfortable for her but like as soon as she won the award and she got on stage his leg started shaking and it didn't stop until like the wow. clip ended Ooh. what you know, good I analysis <laughs> you know I and- googled that after it came up like just to see what people were saying about him being present for that moment and there was a kind of paparazzi discourse of like Taylor Lautner didn't work hard enough to defend Taylor Swift in this moment. Like that was emerging in some places. Like Yikes. they wanted, like they wanted Taylor Lautner to be the one to be like Kanye, oh, no. sit down and let me tell you about. I'm her feminism. boyfriend. <laughs> I'm tough. I'm gonna yeah. protect her. <laughs> I'm a werewolf, and you sit down. Yeah. He just turns into Jacob <laughs> on stage yeah. and leaps into the audience to attack. Yeah, that's what they seems, expected. That's what they wanted. <laughs> so wait, were they date were they rumored to be together at the time? Yeah, Holy yeah and that's shit. why I think yeah. it's in Speak Now. She sings um that September night, the first time you ever saw me cry when she's Ooh. in Back to December, which is allegedly about um Taylor Lautner. She says, Wow. Katie, the way you're leaning away. Like, <laughs> yeah, Katie's, Katie's getting dizzy, it looks like. <laughs> yeah, I am shaken to my core. I, so the idea of his legs shaking and being nervous, it's like, he was like, oh no, oh no. Um, okay, I'm going to so have to be the boyfriend. He's going to get caught yeah. in it. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm going to have to be the macho boyfriend. Kanye, even before Kanye gets up on stage, 
Right. Yeah. I'm going to have to probably kiss her because she won. Like, we're going to have to be like, I'm going to have to show intimacy with her uh, in front of Mm -hmm. everyone. Holy shit. As soon as he reads out her name. Yeah. It doesn't happen. They don't interact. They don't. Yeah. They don't interact. So because they're definitely neither of them are in like, a hostess mode at that point yeah no. they're in like what the fuck just happened crisis they're mode. like we have a separate pr crisis to deal with than our relationship <laughs> yeah, right now exactly both of our teams both of our teams are yeah. panicking yeah, yeah. <laughs> no really though so i need to say something about taylor lautner he and his current like rumored girlfriend right now dress up as <laughs> his, his current oh fiance i think oh fiance think. and they're both named taylor, taylor? Taylor yeah. again? Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't. I don't. We don't have time to unpack that right now. We really um, don't. <laughs> That's for his but, therapist. Yeah. Yeah. Really, though. <laughs> I will say, for Halloween, they dressed up as a cow and a cowboy. Oh, Who's the cow. No. I, know. I think he was. I think Taylor Lautner. Sorry, I think Taylor L was. <laughs> The cow and then the girlfriend was the cowboy. The cowboy, I think, yeah. But anyways, cowboy like me, you know, whatever, whatever. Yeah. So this is what I'm thinking. I was gonna do the Miss Americana PowerPoint. Um, Mm. but I'm thinking now because it was recorded, my very first Gaylor group was recorded. I'm just gonna release that to the public. Um that's a good idea it's already on youtube so i'll just link it and people can watch the the powerpoint there um Mm -hmm. it's good you'll get to see me and madison interacting for the first time ever which is fun no i want to rewatch it yeah i haven't that's for the history books (laughs) it'll it's like watching season seven okay so sean a little drag queen uh a little context for you sean really research like really knows all about drag race he introduced me to drag race and like oh love that yeah mm-hmm. so i'm obsessed with the idea that me and madison are katia and trixie respectively Ooh, okay yeah. interesting we have the same age difference we Ooh. have the same like we met in a professional context and have built a professional relationship infused with friendship as opposed to like the other way around Mm -hmm. um so I'm just really obsessed with that comparison and so watching this first ever Gaylord group will be like watching season seven of Drag Race when you see Katya and Trixie blossom yes exactly Mm -hmm. could I do some shameless self-promotion please if if, if any of your listeners are interested in Drag Race I published an article in an, an academic journal called Jump Cut that I think would be appealing to your listeners just because it's about RuPaul's Drag Race fandom on Reddit and about like what queer people want from TV shows like RuPaul's Drag Race. Like how do we want things like that to exist for us? Uh, Which I think is a very relevant question when we're talking about uh, queer fans of Taylor Swift. So that's an article that is, but um, yeah. You send me the link. I'll post it in the description and And the thing I want to say about Drag Race, I almost never can contextualize it because in my head if someone knows me then it's already contextualized but I'll say it explicitly for me and Sean's sake we are both extremely critical of the Drag Race franchise very critical of RuPaul very critical of 
the editing and kind of exploitation that occurs in all of it. Also, like, as she's able to separate how amazing drag queens are and drag in general. So I'm glad you give that disclaimer. Yeah, Yeah, right. Yes, I'm very grateful you did. That's important. Yeah, the article is partially about how do you actually deal with being a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race while being repulsed by so much of the way the show yes. uh, is is produced. So it's it's, it's very yeah. similar to the Gaylor community. Yeah. <laughs> okay. How do we yeah. stay a fan of her while mm-hmm. also feeling so cringy and so mm-hmm. disturbed yeah. by her public image? Yeah. It's tough. It's tough out yeah. there. Yeah. I will say I'm really glad the film was as well received as it was because it mm-hmm. it really was. There are a lot of critics who pushed for it as a high quality documentary and like put it on top 10 lists at the end of the year. And I'm glad that they sort of lended value to it in that way. Cause you can easily imagine something like this kind of just disappearing without anyone talking about it, except the fans of Taylor Swift. Yeah. I mean, I said it before I was, I was very surprised by how raw and vulnerable it was while at the same time agreeing with your listeners that it, it seems like there's a lot that that's been cut out or is missing it's a really good illustration of her though of 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 you know her and the loneliness of female celebrity being sort of trapped in this gilded cage and thank you so much for inviting me i mean i had a lovely time talking oh, to yes. both of you oh my gosh thank you for being on our mm-hmm. little podcast and for <laughs> yeah. watching miss americana with like such an attempt attention to detail you could be yeah, you very easily could have just threw it on in the background and like said nonsense about it you know like you could have just been like yeah it's taylor swift but um <laughs> i told a friend of mine who is a taylor swift fan that i was recording a podcast today about miss americana and he did sincerely ask me did you watch it as in as if like that was up for debate that i would just come here having not watched it that's that's not how i do things <laughs> thank god you thank really god. brought some points it's like, I mean, Katie knows I watch Miss Americana more often than I probably health like a healthy amount. Um, so the fact that you brought so many points that like I had never even noticed or like analyzed or dug deeper on, like I very much appreciate your insight and your perspective. Fantastic. Yeah. I learned a lot from you both too. Yeah, thank you so much for coming, Sean. I mean, our podcast has recently been described as cerebral, and Ooh. you really brought the cerebral uh, oh, cool. frosting <laughs> to it. So, yeah. Cerebral yeah. frosting. Mm, wow. The yummiest okay. frosting from the can. <laughs> that's that's my new drag name, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch! Okay. I love Actually. that. I love that. That's such an intense name. It really is. It's a lot for people to handle. Sasha Valore, eat your heart out. Cerebral frosting Uh, is here. Oh my God. Thank you to our listeners for listening and for submitting questions for us to ask Sean and giving us kind of a basis of what you wanted to hear. And thank thank you guys for our patrons that have joined us. It's been so exciting. It's been thrilling. We're up to 61 patrons. Last time I checked, I know really bananas. Madison's head is exploding on screen for all those of you that can't see it. RIP Madison. Um, (laughs) And just kidding, knock on wood, Jesus. Um, You're all incredible. I will say last night on the uh, Gaylor group, any of you that attended, thank you so much for attending. It was so fun. And someone did say, I really wish I could subscribe to the Patreon 
god i only have two dollars in my bank account and i actively was like um someone here must have a patreon please share your login info with them <laughs> no yeah like i don't give a yeah. fuck if you guys no god no you really want the patreon and you can't afford it uh like lurk around the page and see what people have it and exchange info um yeah. we're also planning on releasing you know some episodes for free down the line at some point um they mm-hmm. won't be part of the main feed probably just because of like gossipy sakes we don't really want to have that in the main feed but they'll be for free on the patreon in a, like a few months or whatever the next episode we're going to be releasing is on evermore the Grammys were originally going to be on January 31st. They are postponed indefinitely, but we will still be celebrating our favorite Grammy-nominated album, Evermore, yes. with a whole album. Mm-hmm. A whole episode about the album. Finally. Um, so yeah, we'll put a link for Sean's paper. Oh, yes, I'll send that to you. Sure. <laughs> we will We will put that in the description. Please check that out. I can't wait to read it. Um, yeah, it does it's sound like really it correlates good. just with like queer media and like, like you, Katie. the consumption of it. Yeah. I've read um, it. Katie got an inside scoop. She did. <laughs> Exclusive early access. She got a scoopsy. <laughs> <laughs> I want that to be my um my drag name, Lucy. Lucy, I like it. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, Lucy Lou. Um, Lucy Lucy Lou who? Yeah, yes, you got it. Yeah, yeah. Lucy Lou who? Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs>